Ashley Babbitt was the only person confirmed to have been killed on January 6th, but another death also has video evidence suggesting that DC Metropolitan Police may have played a role, that of Roseanne Boyland. Roseanne Boyland was part of a crowd that had gathered in the tunnel entrance on the Lower West Terrace as one of the entrances to the Capitol, and the police in trying to drive the people out, unleashed some sort of chemical irritant that appeared to displace the oxygen. The witnesses described feeling that the oxygen had been sucked out of the air and they couldn't breathe. Because people could not draw a breath in, they very quickly went unconscious. And Roseanne was one of the first to fall right at the tunnel entrance. She went down. A number of people who continued to push out landed on top of her. In almost an instant, she was under five or six people deep. There is a duty on the part of police once they push somebody out of the tunnel or attempting to push them out of the tunnel and they fall to render aid or to get them up and get them out of the tunnel. It's incumbent upon them to do that. The video is quite shocking. It looks like a waterfall going down the steps leading away from this entrance. People just tumbling out. And at that point, the police were, were pushing. They were pushing everyone out after deploying the gas. And so you had a, a pile of humanity, and the people at the bottom, of course, were being crushed. And Roseanne was terrified. She was calling out, someone help me, someone help me. And another uh, bystander held her hand while she became unconscious. My assessment of the use of gas in a tunnel, a confined space, is as follows. The objective of the use of gas is to disperse or to arrest those who fail to disperse. In a confined space like a tunnel, when you discharge gas, you suck up the oxygen. You cause a panic reaction, which is increased breathing, which ingest and ingestion of gas causes pain and problems that cause people to pass out. So Roseanne's trapped under these people. She collapsed when, the, again, the air had been sucked out of the room by some kind of chemical irritant. How did the police react to her? The crowd and many, many people in it were begging police to help. They were pointing down to Roseanne on the ground, saying, we have someone down. She needs help, please. The one gentleman, uh, please save her, please, please. And the reaction was silence. There was no reaction. And if there was any, it was uh, one of the officers kicked a couple of fairly large gentlemen in the hindquarters and kicked them on top of her. So she had more people land on her after that. I saw individuals who were screaming for assistance to be given to her, that she was dying, please save a life, those kinds of comments. I saw one individual who was struck with a baton and bleeding, who was screaming for help to be rendered to her, and nothing was forthcoming from law enforcement. The crowd was desperate. It's not fun to watch somebody die, and they knew she was... coming down from his head. And, yep. and when their entreaties were ignored, it turned to anger. Now we have this video footage of Roseanne Boyland being beaten by police. At what stage did this take place? Well, she had been down possibly five minutes uh, and there was a battle going on at the, the front of the police line because people were, appeared to be trying to protect her. And one of the officers who was just new up to the front of the line, she had just come up, she attacked one of the protesters, or she struck him, I shouldn't, uh, in the arm and struck him again and missed. 
And then, inexplicably, she turned her physical assault on Roseanne Boylan, who was, had been unconscious for some time. In analyzing the film, I saw a police officer from D.C. Metro with a stick, that was a walking stick, strike a downed Roseanne Boylan three times. Which is that? That's evil. Yeah, yeah. Times. I was horrified. Twice in the head and once in the chest. We don't train officers to hit people in the head with a blunt object. It's to be avoided. We teach other targets, arms, legs, things like that. Moreover, we don't teach officers are not trained to strike a downed person. My conclusion in reviewing the officer's behavior was that they were untrained, they were not properly equipped, they were not properly commanded and supervised, and that they did a reactive, fear-struck, or anger-struck tactics where they punished people rather than arresting or dispersing them. It is definitely a crime that was committed by Officer Morris when she struck a downed person. What she should have done is again handcuffed the individual and rendered first aid. Yes, it's assault under color of authority with intent to do great bodily harm. She was seriously attempting to injure Roseanne Boylan by striking her when she was in a down position and unconscious. The officer tried to continue, but she was uh, swinging so hard the stick flew out of her hand, so she had lost her weapon. And then a colleague of hers behind her pulled her back into the Capitol itself. And the entreaties for Roseanne continued. A gentleman stepped up, was holding a medical crutch, an aluminum crutch, to basically block police. He started out his role in this by asking people to pray. And you can see this on video. He turns around and he's shouting at people to stop and pray because he thought people were dying. And indeed, that's what turned out to be the case. In a short while after that, he is at the front line. This crutch just flies in from off camera, lands at his feet. So he ended up picking that up. He said, I'd try to make myself as big as possible to be a barrier between the police and the crowd. And as he did this, some of the bystanders pulled Roseanne down the steps and started CPR. I mean, he's charged with, uh, with multiple uh, counts, but in the media and even in his own fam extended family, uh, he got pretty widespread condemnation. You know, he was labeled as, as a, an insurrectionist uh, in that he was assaulting the police. You can look at that video and you can draw other conclusions, but his input was key. He was widely condemned. Short time after, Luke Coffey held the crutch up and the bystanders tried doing CPR. They picked her up and set her down right in front of the police. You watch the video and it almost seemed to be like, here is a person in need of help, helper. And uh, eventually an officer did step forward and grabbed her by the foot, but they, they dragged her out. And it reminded me of deer hunting, you drag out a, a deer carcass. And you know, her arms went up over her head. She lost a good bit of her clothing in this process, uh, but they pulled her into the Capitol. Then she did receive emergency care, and I think heroic care. The officers that were inside didn't hesitate. Unfortunately, we're pretty sure she was deceased by that time, but that did give the family great comfort to see that not all the officers were indifferent to what was going on with her. Imagine if the American people actually saw just what happened to Roseanne Boylan and these officers who keep portraying themselves as heroes that day. 
when they were the villains, and I've said this over and over. The people who acted most violently on January 6th were Capitol and DC Metro Police. People don't want to hear that. I think that's why you have so many men who were at the mouth of that tunnel trying to protect her and others who were on the ground, others who are being beaten by police officers. That's why you have so many of those men under pretrial detention orders trying to torture them into plea deals because they don't want trials and they don't want the evidence of what happened in that tunnel to come out at trial. And so I think that's why you've got at least six or seven men who were there who were also, who were pitting police officers. I mean, I'm not, that is a fact. But when you see law enforcement, when you see thugs disguised as police officers, you're not, you can defend yourself and others around you. And the fact that even the video that most of the public and certainly the media has seen, that they have not questioned why those police officers did not stop what they were doing, clear an area, and attempt to resuscitate her, help her, or get her out of that crowd, um, that they dragged her back through the tunnel, uh, and I've heard descriptions of what she looked like being dragged through that tunnel. Again, that's why they don't want the surveillance video released, right? I mean, we have thousands of hours of it. The DC medical examiner ruled it was accidental and ascribed it to amphetamine intoxication. She had a prescription for Adderall for uh, ADHD, which she had been on for probably 10 years. It was a drug she was certainly used to, and there was no indication she had any distress up until the point she fell, but that was his finding. And the, the family, the Boylan family immediately uh, felt they needed to challenge that. And they did hire their own pathologist to review the autopsy. And that person came to, came to a different conclusion and said that uh, amphetamine intoxication was clearly not the reason for her death and seemed to acknowledge that the circumstances she was in with the crowd and being crushed and this violence going on around her and, uh, and pepper gel just dripping from on high uh, and she's probably inhaling some of this stuff that those could have been very easily aggravating factors. Video footage of protesters fighting with police at the doors of the Capitol building have been among the more common scenes used by media outlets trying to paint the protesters as violent. Yet the full context of that scene is often left out. When the video evidence is shown in its full context, it's clear the crowd is trying to rescue Roseanne Boylan as police beat her unconscious body. To get the deeper context of the crowd and what took place, we met with Luke Coffey, the man who pushed the police back using a crutch, which then allowed other protesters to pull Roseanne from the tunnel. I was walking back to the hotel and I was approached by three different men, kind of younger guys that were running away from the Capitol and were basically telling uh, people that we need patriots at the Capitol. There are people dying inside. We need patriots. But it was, I thought it was strange because they were running away from the Capitol and we were still at least a mile probably away. I was prodded at that point by the Lord really to to, I wanted to go up there to the front and try to stop the chaos and confusion and and wh whatever was going on. I didn't know, I didn't know anything at this point. So initially, when they approached me, it was it was uh, I, I felt it would just it stood out as a very strange occurrence that they were um, trying to get people to go up there and why were they running away from it? It was it was bizarre, really. And I had a 
a friend that is, uh, I would consider a conspiracy theorist by nature. And he warned me that there could be a false flag incident that day, be very careful. And it, that's immediately what I thought that these gentlemen were trying to escalate pro provocateurs that were working to get people up there. I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, go up and to the front and pray. And it was very clear voice. I think there are three voices in our head, our own, the Holy Spirit, if you know Jesus, and demonic spirits that can influence you. I know it was not my own voice, and it was the Lord that very much told me, and I felt it was a prodding on my heart to go up there, regardless of the risk, and just pray and, and pray for peace. As I was walking up there, it did, I felt like there were saints, you know, that were making eye contact, going out of their way to make eye contact with me. And this is a crowd of 20 to 30,000 people, but it was certain people that were just still and peaceful and just making, they'd give me a little nod or just make eye contact with me. And, you know, the eyes are the window of the soul, and it was something incredible that really has stood out um, to me, and I haven't told a lot of people. It was an overcast day for the most part but the clouds opened up and I did see these strips of paper coming down they were verses that were encouraged me to continue on and I don't think other people saw them and I know I wasn't hallucinating um, but it was prodding me to continue on and uh, other and we're trying to get away because they couldn't breathe from the tear gas I saw multiple women that I tried to help that were on the bottom of three to four people piled deep and I was with no success was able to pull them out so at that point I went to the crowd and was saying we got to stop this we got to pray Roseanne was one of the people I saw up at the top of the steps that I was trying to help out along with several other women that were underneath and people were screaming out that they couldn't breathe and it was very dramatic the gas made everybody freak out and, and caused more chaos. And uh, so everyone had fallen on top of each other. And so I went up to the front telling them, everyone stop and pray, because I really believe people were gonna die. I thought people were gonna perish underneath that, that crowd because it was just jam packed. People crying out maybe for their last breaths at that point is where I did hear the voice of the Lord say, Luke, go stand in the gap. And, uh, and at the same, around the same time, these three other guys were talking about that we need to do something so this doesn't happen again. So this, so to de-escalate it, to, to prevent it from happening again. The, a couple of these guys were like, I, I don't want to risk going up there. And you know, one said, I got my family to think of. And I said, I'm single, I'll go up there. And, and uh, so I tried to walk as peacefully and slowly as I could. Um, and go right up to the line of, of police. And I didn't know how many there were. I did see that they were swinging and it was violent and there were people on both sides swinging. And so I said, stop immediately. Stop guys, we're all Americans, stop. I was immediately sprayed with pepper spray directly to my face and was being hit as well. So I couldn't see well, obviously, but I looked down and happened to see a crutch that I guess had just flown up there and landed at my feet. and. So 
I was prompted to pick it up and put it over my head. The most peaceful thing I could do is make myself big and try to make a wall between both parties. I don't know if it's audible in the recordings, but I said, in, in the name of Jesus, Lord, please stop this. And then I turned around and said it to the crowd, stop, everyone stop. And then I was hit in the back, which prompted me to turn around and put the crutch in a defensive manner uh, in front of me. It was a fighter, I can say it was a fight or flight response to being a, uh, attacked and and you know the crutch was never meant to be used in, in any other way than to defend myself or peace, to peacefully make a stand and then to defend myself. There was a reason and it wasn't a coincidence and I do I, I don't believe in coincidences I believe they're, they're fingerprints on our lives evidence of God's greater plan and so I wasn't that surprised that that's where Roseanne was um, and I, I just wish more could have been done to save her life. One of the biggest crossroad moments of my life was first experiencing getting hit by a car with the love of my life over my shoulder and uh, her perishing that evening. What I learned from that experience is that God is the author of our lives. He is the great um, director. He is, uh, he is in control. He's sovereign. He's providential. And God used what was the my worst nightmare to show to really show up and and in my life, and so it was the that was the hard, it's it's weird to say, but it was the greatest moment and the worst moment in my life mm. when I lost her. So when for, to have another woman in my proximity. Um, is very, I don't know what, what to say about it. Mm. The FBI reached out and I immediately called him back and told him the story just like I've told you. Told him that I did have contact with the police, and but I was very much trying to break it up. And, and even he said, Mr. Coffey, it looks like you were trying to de-escalate things. He said, you're not a suspect at this point. And for about 14 or 15 days, I was told I was not a suspect. Initially, he said, if, if they charge you anything, it will be a misdemeanor, disorderly conduct. But he said, they may not charge you at all. You know, it says you were, it looks, it looks like you were trying to de-escalate things. Or <clears throat> so, you know, 10 or 12 days later, he said, Mr. Coffey's not looking good for you. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, we've seen some new evidence and, uh, we're going to need you to uh, come in and talk to us. And I said, well, let me let my lawyer talk to you. That's right. Didn't have a lawyer at the time, but I quickly got one and uh, hired one and, and uh, who negotiated what became me turning myself in to the FBI in Dallas. I spent 45 days in a prison down here in Texas, Limestone County. I've had two plea deals come in, one of which was four to five years, pleading guilty to a felony assault with a deadly weapon, the crutch being the deadly weapon. When I met with my lawyers most recently, I was able to go to Midland, Texas, where they are for several days, and they had a potential plea deal that was similar to another defendant that was eight to 14 months, but still pleading guilty to a felony assault with a deadly weapon. I just know I feel called to fight for truth, not for just myself, but for other J6ers. 
the only thing they can do is kill me or put me back in prison, and I'm not scared either way. So I'm ready to do whatever God calls me and whatever He wills it for my life. It's my absolute full intention to go to trial.